This episode is sponsored by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. Have you heard about the Resident Orthopedic Core Knowledge Program? The American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons has partnered with leading experts in the field to bring you ROCK, the online learning platform developed for U.S. residency programs. Free to residents, ROCK empowers you to build a foundation to prepare you for the OITE and ABOS Part 1 exam. And remember, access to the ROCK content is free for residents. Get started at rock.aaos.org. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to yet another episode of the Nail It Ortho podcast. My name is Dr. Cole. Myself and Dr. Fitz started this podcast to go over high-yield orthopedic surgery topics, and we have some exciting news in store for you all today. Our OITE slash our board podcast companion book is finally available for you all to read and read along with our podcast episodes it is available so we'll just click the link in the description it's actually available at a discounted price for the next 24 hours and it'll be normal price after that but it has all the timestamps for the different markers in our podcast episodes it has different episodes that you can dive into for a little bit of a deeper dive and to venture a little bit more into it but yeah it's finally there you all have been asking about it for so long and we have finally done it this is the print version, so you actually have something that you can have in your hands. And the Kindle version will be coming out within a couple of weeks, so stay tuned and enjoy. You are now listening to Nailed It, the orthopedic surgery podcast featuring Drs. Jay Fitz and Wendell Cole. Dr. Woolwine, it is uh it's time for us to embark upon another adventure and continue this uh this train here on the pediatric spine boat. All right. Well, uh let's just let's just, just go ahead and hop right into it. So what are some of the I guess physical exam findings utilized when evaluating for scoliosis? And we know that there are way, way more than the ones we're about to mention here, but these are just a, a few. Yeah, these are the things that may pop up in a like an OITE or a board question where um, when when you read them, you're like, oh, is that important? Is it not? And usually everything they put in a question stem is, is important and it's leading you towards the right answer. So things you want to look for when you're evaluating for the scoliosis is, is their head, um, when they're just standing neutral, is it off the center of their body? And if it is off more to the left or to the right, it can clue you in on how severe their curve is when they're already just standing neutral and their head is off center. Um, shoulder asymmetry, meaning um, is one shoulder height higher than the other? And if it is, then um, that may indicate a more severe curve. Uh, rib prominence when they're doing a forward bend. Um, that's a lot of times that's why they get sent to you is it's part of just the general pediatric physical exam for school or for sports. And when a kid is asked to um, bend forward and touch their toes, if their ribs are popped up more on the right or on the left, then that indicates a, a scoliosis. Um, then uh, you can also look at, uh, is there a trunk shift, uh, which is similar to the head being off center, but uh, sometimes the trunk can be shifted off to one side but their head remains centered over their pelvis. So their, their curve eventually gets back to midline, but the curve can still be significant enough and require surgery if they have trunk shift. And then asymmetric abdominal reflexes is going to be something that's going to clue you in to uh, 
something a little bit more concerning for a, a scoliosis patient, and it's one where you may want to actually evaluate them for uh, with like an MRI or some other advanced imaging uh, rather than just uh, PA and lateral x-rays. So um, again, head off center, shoulder asymmetry, rib prominence, trunk shift, and asymmetric abdominal reflexes. And so then we hear about the different types of scoliosis. What is early onset scoliosis? Yeah, so so early onset scoliosis is going to be scoliosis that is pretty much in any patient that's younger than 10 years old. And there are a couple different definitions out there uh, if you go and look. But again, so early onset scoliosis is like kind of this umbrella term for scoliosis under the age of 10. And these are typically... Um, left-sided curves and have a male predominance and early onset scoliosis is going to be different than adolescent idiopathic scoliosis. So again, with early onset scoliosis, this is going to include congenital scoliosis, infantile um, idiopathic scoliosis, and like juvenile scoliosis. So again, um, onset of scoliosis before the age of 10. And we have a, a podcast with Dr. Landrum going over early onset scoliosis, if you, if you want to dive deeper into that. And some of those, those things we'll talk about here in a bit, but that's what early onset scoliosis is. Now, when we're just looking at imaging, um, what are some things on imaging you can use to evaluate scoliosis in, in some of these younger patients? Uh, the main one that is used is going to be the Cobb angle. And the Cobb angle is the angle difference between the most severe angled uh, superior uh, vertebral body and uh, the most angled inferior uh, vertebral body. And we'll get to the kind of different um, numbers that you're looking for, uh, but uh, just know that the Cobb angle is one where you're looking at the vertebral body angles in relation to each other, and then the uh, rib vertebral angle distance angle distance is, uh, it's also, um, kind of, uh, shortened to RVAD and it may pop up in a question. And it's one of those that it's, it measures, uh, rotation. Um, and it, what it's looking at is the angle between the, uh, vertebrae and the takeoff angle of the ribs and, uh, that rib vertebral angle distance. If, if you're just kind of listening to this at your computer, if you uh, either pop onto ortho bullets or you just Google um, RVAD, it'll show you kind of that, how that angle is uh, calculated. And um, you don't want a, a really steep angle. When the angle is really steep, that there, that indicates more of a uh, scoliosis type pattern. And um, what is congenital spine deformity uh, secondary to? Yeah, so that's gonna be when you look at congenital scoliosis, you're, the things that you'll you'll see they'll talk about a failure of segmentation and a failure of formation. Um, so a failure of segmentation where the vertebrae do, don't segment, you get what's called a a bar or uh, kind of these connections between these vertebrae because again they haven't segmented and became their become their individual um, vertebrae. So a failure of segmentation is going to lead to formation of a bar. And if you kind of think of what that is, one side of the spine is they're, they're fused. So those vertebrae are fused and haven't segmented. So if the other side continues to grow, it kind of like tethers that side. So that's one thing that can lead towards scoliosis. And the other thing is for, is failure of formation. So this is 
uh, when you have a part of the vertebra that doesn't form. So this is maybe like a wedged vertebra or a hemivertebra. And you can actually have both. So on one side, you can have a, a bar and on the other side, you can have a hemivertebra. So this can be mixed. So you can have a mixed failure of segmentation where the vertebra failures uh, don't, don't segment and become their own individual vertebra, or you can have a failure of formation. And, you know, the, the big thing with congenital scoliosis is that you, you need to make sure there's, there, there's something else going on, right? They're going to have some other congenital anomalies. Um, this is going to be things like, you remember in med school, like the vectoral um, syndrome, so vertebral uh, anomalies, you know, anal atresia, things of that sort, esophageal problems. Um, so for these, again, these patients that have congenital scoliosis, you want to, you know, get an MRI, evaluate the spine and big things. You want to get a cardiac um, echo cardiogram and a renal ultrasound again, to evaluate for these other conditions. Cause we know other things are going on when you see patients with, uh, with congenital scoliosis. So um, again, associated with factorial syndrome, and you definitely want to get an echocardiogram and a renal ultrasound. And I just mentioned a little bit about kind of failure of segmentation leading to a bar and failure of formation leading to these kind of wedged vertebras or hemivertebras, but which congenital scoliosis deformity has the kind of worst prognosis or has like a 100% chance of progressing the scoliosis? That's going to be one that has a unilateral bar with a contralateral hemivertebrae. So you're basically, you're combining two of the uh, congenital scoliosis uh, deformities in one. And one is bad enough. And so when you add two of them together, meaning a unilateral bar and those two vertebrae are fused on one side and they have a contralateral hemivertebrae, because they're fused on one side and that contralateral hemivertebrae is still going to expand, you're going to get a severe angle at that location. And like you said, essentially uh, 100% of these progress to uh, operative uh, range type of scoliosis. This episode is sponsored by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. If you're an orthopedic resident, it's time to start building the foundation to be prepared for the OITE and ABOS Part 1 exam. The American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons has partnered with leaders in the field to bring you the Resident Orthopedic Core Knowledge Program. Rock is an all-in-one online learning platform covering 11 subspecialties. You can access the content for free at rock.aaos.org. This platform delivers a comprehensive, structured, standardized curriculum and even includes self-assessment quizzes and performance analytics. And remember, residents never pay to access rock content. Get started today at rock.aaos.org. And uh, what are, uh, speaking of kind of operating on these patients, what are some of the operative indications for congenital scoli? Yeah, so... These are going to be patients that have progression, like they, they're they rapidly progressing or progressing greater than 10 degrees. Um, anybody that has a high risk of progression. So again, it's like you just described a patient that has a unilateral bar with a contralateral hemivertebra. Um, and again, patients that are having like bodily um, deficits, so neurodeficits or declining respiratory function, because, you know, again, with, with scoliosis, this can have an effect on your rib cage and your uh, and your lung capacity, which we'll talk about here in a bit. But again, so indications operate um, on patients with 
congenital scoliosis, anybody that's progressing a lot, um, patients that have a high risk of progression, again, unilateral bars, the contralateral hemivertebra, and patients that have like neurological deficits and declining respiratory function. Now, what are some of the operative treatment choices or things that you can do for congenital scoliosis? So if it's a uh, unilateral uh, unsegmented bar, uh, you can consider just doing an insight to arthrodesis. And basically what you're doing is you are fusing the contralateral side uh, compared to that unilateral bar. So while those vertebral bodies will remain congenitally small in that patient, uh, because you've done an arthrodesis of the contralateral side, you will have uh, uh, kind of equal lack of growth. Um, and it's similar to uh, when we talk about uh, correcting uh, either varus or valgus at the pediatric knee and using uh, uh, epiphysiodesis uh, of that uh, uh, side to kind of grow one side or stop one side from growing, this is the same deal. If, if you stop one side from growing and the other side is a congenital bar, then that's just going to be a short segment of the vertebrae, but at least they won't develop scoliosis. Um, for the segmented hemivertebrae, you can do an inside to uh, arthrodesis or a contralateral uh, hemiepiphysiodesis. And basically what you're doing is because they already have a hemivertebrae, if you stop that one side from growing, then it may remain a slight deformity, but it's not going to continue to progress into more severe scoliosis. Uh, you can always consider a hemivertebrae excision um, or a total vertebrectomy, which is a um, taking out the entire uh, vertebral body. And then um, some of the uh, kind of newer things or fancier things you can do with pediatric congenital scoliosis is these growing rod constructs. And basically what you're doing is you're uh, doing a guided growth of the patient um, while they are also growing themselves. And um, all of these rods, they may not necessarily connect to the spinal column. Sometimes they connect to the rib cage uh, or other structures around the spine that help kind of grow the the side that you're concerned about progressing so that they can develop a more straight spine. And you have improved results with lengthening um, every six months for these growing rod constructs. Um, but um, there are complications. Um, what is uh, thoracic insufficiency syndrome uh, associated with? Yeah. So the, and one thing I wanted to mention um, on the fusions, when you talk about the the anterior and posterior fusions, one of the things I didn't put in here that one of the, Dr. Lange, when I was talking to him and doing this podcast that he mentioned was a crankshaft phenomenon. And a lot of times I always saw that, didn't really know what it meant. But so if you just fuse the posterior elements of the spine, the anterior spine can still continue to, to grow. And so when you just get the anterior spine um, growing, it can lead to that crankshaft phenomenon where you start to get more sagittal plane deformity. So that's what that is really quickly for those that are listening. Um, but yeah, back to your question. So what is thoracic insufficiency syndrome? Um, you know, so again, these are going to be these, these, or what's it associated with? So these are going to be those patients that can't really support, you know, normal respiration. Uh, and this is going to be associated with, again, idiopathic con or congenital scoliosis. 
Um, and these patients are going to have like uh, shortened thoraxes. Um, they're going to be associated with patients that have multiple rib fusions. Because if you think about it, if you have multiple ribs fused, you're not really getting that good expansion of the lung uh, or lung aplasia, uh, patients that have poor growth. So these are all things that um, that thoracic insufficiency syndrome is going to be associated with. So if you see on the test and they show you like a CT scan or, or, or imaging that shows like a bunch of fused ribs, um, patients that have really bad congenital scoliosis, you know, you want to have thoracic insufficiency syndrome on your mind. Now, I, I, I don't know. How, I couldn't figure out a better way to ask this question, but uh, is congenital kyphosis good or bad? <laughs> yeah, congenital kyphosis is uh, bad. They uh, have a very high risk for neurologic compromise. And just like um, idiopathic kyphosis, if it if it progresses to a certain degree or Schurman's uh, kyphosis, um, you're going to treat this with uh, either posterior spinal fusion alone um, or an anterior spinal fusion and posterior spinal fusion, depending on the uh, degree of uh, correction needed. But the OIT and ABOS will not, they won't test you on, oh, is this better to treat anterior alone, posterior alone, both or none at all? They're, they're basically just going to probably test you on, uh, they're going to give you a patient and they're going to describe congenital kyphosis and uh, basically ask you um, what are they at higher risk highest risk for and it's neurologic compromise um, and so what are some of the treatment options for patients with the uh, congenital scoliosis and thoracic insufficiency yeah so you mentioned a little bit earlier kind of these growing rod um, constructs um, so one is like these vector or these magic expandable rods and um, vector, what that stands for, that's going to be that vertical expandable prosthetic titanium rib. So that's what vector, V-E-P-T-R. And um, so again, so these are growing rod constructs. Some of them um, are, there's kind of hooks that go underneath the ribs, some hooks that go underneath the pelvis. There are many con uh, constructs of, way, of ways that these are um that these are fixed to the actual skeleton themselves. But these are things that, again, pretty much are trying to help uh, guide growth in one way or another. Um, some of these are magnetic, so you get kind of that magic expandable rod. But again, so these are going to help allow for uh, lung development. And again, these patients that have congenital scoliosis with thoracic insufficiency, we want their lungs to work. Um, Another thing, if these patients have a, a lot of rib fusions, sometimes you may need to do an osteotomy of these rib fusions, um, do like some opening wedge thoracostomies. You may need to expand part of their hemithorax and put growth implants across their hemithorax. So there are a lot of different um, things or treatment options for uh, these patients that have congenital scoliosis with thoracic insufficiency. But I think just kind of these these uh, these growing rod constructs, I think that I've seen that be being a test answer a couple of times, as long as you know that, like vector and magic rods. And so that is, we talked about like congenital scoliosis, again, associated with the factorial syndrome, a lot of different anomalies. So you got to make sure you get that echo and, uh, and that renal ultrasound. Now, what about, what are some different treatment options for infantile um, idiopathic scoliosis? So this is and again, any scoliosis in patients that are less than three years old. So we talked about congenital, but this is more infantile idiopathic scoliosis. Yeah, yeah. We briefly brought up early onset scoliosis as being a broad definition of 
scoliosis in children under 10, um, infantile specifically for children under three, uh, congenital is um, exactly what the term means is that it's basically it's in utero scoliosis. Then you have neurogenic scoliosis and syndromic scoliosis, which are kind of other parts of early onset scoliosis. But for um, infantile idiopathic scoliosis, again, in patients who are less than three years old, um, some of the treatment options are, uh, uh, I mean, similar to two other uh, things in orthopedics, you can either observe, uh, treat in a in a cast or a uh, brace, or you can perform surgery. So um, like we were talking about before with the Cobb angles, uh, the Cobb angle, again, is that angle between the vertebral bodies at its most severe superior portion and inferior portion. And if that Cobb angle is less than 25, or if that rib vertebral uh, angle uh, is less than 20, um, then you can observe those patients um, basically just getting x-rays every six months to a year um, and just watching the progression. If they then go on to progress to a Cobb angle of between 25 and 45 or a, an RVAD of greater than 20 degrees, and that RVAD, again, that rib vertebral angle difference um, for those that are less than 20, they have a low propensity to progress. For those that are greater than 20 degrees, they have a higher propensity to progress. So that's another way to um, kind of relay to patients and their families, hey, if your RVAD is greater than it's it's 25, you have a high chance of progression. I think that we should treat this scoliosis. And so uh, for infantile scoliosis, you're going to get an MRI and then you're going to use a cast or a brace. Um, but you also want to avoid multiple trips to the operating room uh, to place these uh, moldable uh, casts just because of multiple uh, anesthetic events for these patients. And then if their Cobb angle is greater than 50, um, that's a pretty universal way of knowing that you're going to operate on these patients and um, you're going to perform some sort of uh, fusion or growing rod construct that will help guide this patient's uh, scoliosis back to a more manageable range that can either get them to uh, a place where they won't need a fusion um, when they're a teenager. Um, and they may have some residual scoliosis, but at least they won't be uh, totally fused. And a uh, thoracic curve for the infantile uh, idiopathic scoliosis is a uh, is the most common location for these uh, curves. That's the thoracic region. Thank you all for listening to yet another episode of the Nail It Ortho podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you all have went and got your book of our podcast board OIT companion book uh, to go along with all the show notes and everything from this podcast series that we've been doing over about the past two years now. So we hope that you all enjoy it. Uh, please go and leave a review. That would help us out a bunch on Amazon. And we will see you all next time.